You're listening to the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast. Knowledge, techniques, and inspiration for your teaching and your practice. I'm your host, Mado Hesselink. If you're a yoga teacher who loves learning, is passionate about spreading the benefits of yoga, and desires more resources to support your teaching, you're in the right place. Let's get started with today's episode. Hello, yoga teacher. Welcome to episode 27 of the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast. This episode is for you if you have ever dreamed or fantasized about teaching at a yoga festival or a yoga conference, or if you're just curious about what goes on behind the scenes or what it's like to run a yoga conference. My guest, Anastasia Shevchenko, is the founder and the managing director of the Berlin Yoga Conference. During our conversation, Anastasia shares what it is like to teach at a yoga festival or a yoga conference, how to get hired at one, and what kind of teachers do best teaching at yoga conferences and yoga festivals. She gives some behind-the-scenes insights about what the managing directors and the hiring managers are looking for, and also some hints about how to become the no-brainer choice in her own words, to get invited to teach at one. Anastasia is a very longtime yoga practitioner who came to yoga for self-healing because she was diagnosed with scoliosis at a young age. And she has been practicing yoga for over 20 years and teaching yoga since about 2013. She's passionate about yoga in connection to other disciplines and other sciences, especially quantum mechanics, neuroscience, psychology, Western philosophy, Buddhism, and nutrition. Her classes are a dynamic fusion of Hatha and Ashtanga yoga. They are breath-centered with an aim to go beyond self-imposed limitations into the mind of the mind, into a space of contact with the universal consciousness. If you think you might be interested in attending the Berlin Yoga Conference, please make sure that you listen all the way to the outro, the very end of the podcast, because Anastasia has offered you a special discount code for anybody who might be interested in attending. Meanwhile, around here, we are getting ready for the holidays, and I'm actually preparing to go out of town to leave my family for two whole weeks. This is a really big deal. It is intense trying to prepare for it. But my sister, my younger sister, had twins just uh, about a month ago. They came a little bit earlier than we were expecting. So they're doing really well, but I'm going to see her and that's all the way over in the Netherlands. So that's going to be a really big trip. And I am busting my butt trying to get everything ready both for my family and also so that there are podcast episodes ready to be released on the regular schedule. So please send me really good vibes and wishes for strength and organization skills because this is kind of a big thing to try to pull off for me. And speaking of going to the Netherlands, 
that Europe connection was one of the things that I connected with Anastasia about in our conversation that we had prior to the podcast interview. We did talk before that. So I want to say hello to all my European listeners. And you may not know this, but I actually am a European citizen. My citizenship is French and Dutch, but I carry a Dutch passport. One of the things that's been really surprising to me about doing this podcast is how many of the listeners are not from the U.S., how international the group is. And that's the same in the Yoga Teacher Resource Facebook group. I think we're about 50% U.S.-based and then 50% everywhere else, global. <laughs> I love that. I That is something that as somebody who has lived many places around the world for my, you know, through my life, especially in my childhood, it's really meaningful to me to be able to connect with people from all over the place. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Anastasia, enjoy her lovely Ukrainian accent, and let me know what you think in the Yoga Teacher Facebook group after you listen. Anastasia, thank you so much for coming on the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast to talk about yoga festivals and different types of yoga events. Thank you so much for having me. Can you start by telling us a little bit about the different types of events that people might, yoga teachers might be interested in teaching at or attending? Yes, sure. So aside from the workshop format, of course, if you speak about big events, they're basically three categories, in my opinion. Uh, there is the festival, there is the expo or trade show, and there is the conference. So the festival, I would imagine, comes originally from the music festival format, and its purpose is to provide people with a you know, nice experience, entertainment. There's lots of music involved. I mean, it really is a sister festival of a music festival. Then the export trade show is something that probably comes from different um, industries where you, you know, you rent a big warehouse and uh, you bring people in to showcase the products, the services, innovations in the market. And sometimes you have specific like events and usually the content is for free. So that people kind of like concentrate on spending money in other ways. <laughs> and of course, the conference, the congregation of people speaking on different subjects and topics that have to do with the industry, with the business, with, with the theme. Can you tell me what the different target markets might be for each of these? Sure. Because there are different business models, they would involve different target markets. Uh, if you're in the business of expo shows, you're selling market stands, uh, which basically means that you, your, your target audience are the people who have brands and who offer products and services, and you want to interest them to come into your space and to showcase their products to your crowd, to your community. And you bring in the community by offering certain type of content that you kind of like pick based on your preferences. You're kind of using your existing audience as a draw for them. To, okay. And it also makes it obviously cheaper for the event goers because the brands are paying the tickets. Festivals 
um, there it's it's usually a combination of uh, yoga teachers and people who are seriously involved in the industry and people who are just wanting to enjoy and have fun and the festival format is very often associated with a natural environment so something like a forest or a big piece of land lots of grass you know you have the camping it's kind of like a little low cost so you don't have like these big costs of like renting a big facility um, you do have other costs of course but the emphasis is definitely on the combination of yoga and music yoga and dance yoga and other moving arts and then of course the conferences and um, very often people are kind of like mm, is this only for yoga teachers <laughs> and and i like to say well it's not only for yoga teachers it's for people who have different backgrounds and because of the richness of the program i hope that no matter what background and no matter what level of yoga the person has they would be able to find something for them but for sure the emphasis is is on people who are into yoga they could be beginners and they just would like to learn um, yoga on a deeper aspect so you want to talk a bit about the considerations of hiring teachers and how you how you choose your teachers and create your programming so it really depends on what kind of intention you have, what kind of visions and goals you set out, and what kind of programming you want to build. So if I'm, for instance, I'm speaking about a conference, which is a learning uh, environment, and my motto is breathe, learn, connect. So learn is obviously the learning environment, uh, focus on modern yoga approach in connection to the scientific research. Um, breathe is about accessing that space of, of the present moment and awareness and connect is about connecting authentically to others in a way that you just do it because of the circumstances because of the way things have been set up and not because someone tells you hey you've got to connect because we're all yogis or you've got to open your heart man why are you so uptight <laughs> you know <laughs> so you're talking more about authentic connection that that happens spontaneously exactly Spontaneously. I mean, um, of course, when you see it from the perspective of an organizer, you are doing certain things in order for that to happen. But at the same time, you cannot control every single aspect of it. It's like, um, really, you invite people into a space and you do your best, you do hard work to set certain things in place so that the mechanism works as one machine and then each person that becomes a part of this project, each person who becomes a part of this event, they will have an influence on it. <laughs> to me, it, it reminds me and maybe a lot of listeners who teach in teacher trainings can relate to this, that that's a lot of what we do during the teacher training, especially a 200 hour teacher training, is the students aren't even aware that we're creating situations for them to connect with each other and that ends up creating a space where they feel supported so that they can relax a little bit because being in a teacher training is is an intense stressful you know situation and by prioritizing a container that invites connection that allows them to relax and in that relaxing they are in a space where they can learn better 
For sure. I mean, you pointed out a very important aspect of any organization, be it a yoga event, a yoga teacher training, or just any, any event where you invite a group of people into a space. It's really a matter of how much planning and thinking goes into it and how much attention to details. So if the person behind the project really puts their heart out and really thinks about all the little things, how it could be an amazing event, then most likely it's going to be amazing. And if the people are a little more chaotic and just like, you know, doing many different things and they're not really committed and maybe they don't have the right intention, like maybe they're not in it for the great experience, but they're in it for just making money, it will have an influence. It will have an influence on in how it's going to turn out and how people are going to feel about it. Tell me more about how you personally assess and hire yoga teachers. It's like secrets of a trade. Exactly. <laughs> well, I'm very happy to share. And I'm one of those people who's quite honest. And I always ask myself, should I be that honest? I mean, should I do something about this? So I can definitely share how I do it and how I think that a lot of people do it based on some kind of induction, I guess, and just some experience in the field, coming in contact with many different people who are in the industry. So when you have an event, and we talked about all the costs and all the work that goes into it, you are very preoccupied about two things. You, on the one hand, want people to come and cover your costs, and on the other hand, you also want people to have a great time meanwhile. So that means that the type of teachers that you that you want to hire for an event like this could be basically of three kinds, <laughs> in my opinion. So the first is like the yoga stars, the people who have a big community, lots of fans, and you know that they have a very big pool power, and you know that they're kind of like expensive, but and also the reason why they have a community and lots of fans is because they're really amazing teachers. So they've been proven by time, they've been to countless conferences, countless events, workshops, you know, their name is the household name <laughs> if you have a yoga household. <laughs> so this is like the first type of people that you want to hire. And those are quite easy to figure out. I mean, you, you don't have to go out of your way to figure out who, who these people are. And then the second type, of course, the people who may be not so well known, so they don't have these big names and like huge Instagram following, but they're really solid people. And we're not talking about like, you know, someone who just finished their teacher training and just like trying to figure it out. It's like we're talking about 15, 20, 25 years of experience. These people have their own studios, they run their own retreats, they teach teachers, they do beginner, they do advanced teacher training, they do yoga holidays, they have their own community also. Maybe it's not so huge, maybe they're like not so popular, uh, but uh, it's very substantial and the impact they have on people is very valuable. It, and it's just that maybe they didn't teach at the conferences before, and, or they were not interested, or they were just not into this kind of self-promotion. Maybe they didn't have time, whatever. So you can, you can get them into your event, and you may be sure that 
the quality of the event and the quality of content is going to be amazing, even though they don't have these you know, super names. And you can also be sure that they will bring people. Because even though they don't have like this star celebrity um, position, they still have communities. Uh, because they've taught, they've taught teacher trainings, they've taught retreats, they have like lots of students who believe in them, you know, over 20 years it accumulates. <laughs> so um, these are a, a, a lot of people who are on my presenter list are these people actually. A lot of them actually do have kind of like a star um, position in Europe specifically, like they've been to many different conferences, they've been researched, I mean there's a reason why they're there. And then of course the third possibility is to have someone who is maybe not so established as the first and the second type. Uh, maybe they're a little newer, they don't have so much experience, but they are still really amazing and they're doing really cool things and maybe they're innovate. Maybe they're doing something really different. Maybe like in one of your podcasts that I've been really hooked on and <laughs> been listening a lot to lately, you talked about uh, picking your niche and, and uh, you know, based on your talents, based on your skills, based on the type of people that have been already attracted to you, you can kind of like build on that and grow something new and, and have kind of like a yoga gimmick, <laughs> have a specific um, yoga method or... Um, specific direction, combining yoga with something, or teaching yoga to a specific demographic. So this is really great content, something that is innovative, something that is cool. And if you're like a, a leader in your niche because you started that, that's like a really good way to go. That's really helpful. I think the next topic on your list was the importance of people skills. And I think what I what I imagine is that even if you get hired one time at a conference, this is what's going to have them bring you back. Is that right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, I think these days, honestly, it may be even the case that you might not make it to the conference <laughs> if your people's skills are lacking. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, sure, there are like super big stars out there. I, I don't know. I, I can imagine that, that are maybe difficult to deal with, but people still work with them because like, they really can make a difference for your event. It may be the case. Everyone has to decide that on their own. I think that people are different and everyone makes their own decisions. Like for me, I basically think about it this way. This is my hard project. I mean, sure, I, I put my soul into it and I want it to be successful. And that means that I try to, to think practically as well, make my numbers, you know, engage the right people in terms of content, in terms of pool power. But at the same time, um, like my life is complicated enough. I have two kids. I have a freelance artist husband. <laughs> life is difficult, you know. Um, it's not easy. Uh, we live in a complicated, chaotic times with overload of information. Last thing I want is, you know, my, my work, my, my, my passion to be associated with like dealing with people who are either irresponsible, um, don't deliver on their promises, just not fun to work with because they're like overreactive, uh, super emotional for no reason, or just plain angry and rude. Have you actually had this experience working with yoga teachers? So not at my conference so far, 
Um, not the, with the people that I actually approached to be teachers. <laughs> there were other experiences, of course. There were a couple of teachers who are not a part of the original lineup anymore. And the reason why they're not there anymore is because we just, out of mutual respect, decided to part our ways because we had other other plans for ourselves, so to say, and it turned out that it wasn't the best fit. Mm. But completely on good terms, and there was no big drama, nothing. But when I, for instance, get like an email from someone who wants to teach at a conference, and I see that just like being kind of like a little pushy and aggressive or cocky, right away I'm like, I don't want to work with this. <laughs> the other big one, I think, is flakiness. Oh, flakiness is the worst. Yeah. <laughs> I've had a couple of these on the volunteer team. Yeah. I mean, I try not to judge because with volunteers, you know, like you, you ask people to work for you for free. So you, you don't expect them to be like, you know, they're really like dedicate them their life to your project. But, you know, when you decide that you want to be a part of something and there is a really clear structure, I always say, look, this is the amount of hours, this is the task. If you feel up to it, then I'll be really happy if you did it. If not, then better tell me now. Yeah, this is what I think is so important for yoga teachers, though. We all acknowledge that it's a very competitive market. There Currently, there are a lot of teachers out there. And they're competing in some ways, you know, hopefully they're more cooperating than competing. But there are situations where a hiring manager or a, you know, conference director has many people to choose from. And it's really an important value to have integrity, to be prompt, to be responsive, to do what you say you're going to do, because that's a really easy way to knock somebody out of the running. And, and when, we have, when we have a lot of options, we have to knock people out of the running. I was just listening actually to a webinar about college entrance because I have a 16-year-old. They were talking about how the selective colleges get so many applicants that if your grades and your test scores don't meet a certain threshold, it doesn't matter how amazing you are. They just have to narrow down the field before they're able to dive in. Really, this goes across different fields, but for some reason, it seems to be like yoga teachers think that because this is a, such a, a spiritual or a passion career that, and not, of course, not all of them think this, but there is, when I talk to people who are more in a hiring space in the yoga industry, I hear a lot of stories that they're so amazed by how many applicants they get and what large percentage of those applicants don't have just the simple follow through capacity and they just knock themselves out of the running that way. Totally. Dot your I's, cross your T's and be that person who doesn't get knocked out of the pool before you even get a chance to show what you're really good at. Exactly. For sure. Because, I mean, how can we tell, you might be the most amazing person in the world, but how can we tell? Because it's just like so many people in the, we need to make the choice by having these little filtration mechanisms. And when we see that someone is not responsible and not like dedicated enough, that's the first filter. No. <laughs> Social media is such a big topic. A lot of the yoga teachers I talk to, they're on one side or the other. Some people are really using social media to be very successful and 
have kind of tapped into the power of social media and other yoga teachers are kind of nervous about it, don't quite understand it, and maybe even have some fears and phobias around it. Do you want to talk about social media in relationship to these types of bigger events? how yoga teachers can both use it to become part of an event and also to support the event. Sure. Definitely in relation to this type of event, it's very important. And why? Because, first of all, if we don't know the teacher, for instance, and someone is applying for a position, how do we find out? So we go on a Google and we make a search, right? And what do we find? We find a website. We expect to find a website. We expect to have an Instagram account and we expect to have some kind of Facebook page. Those are like a given. This is just like, if you don't have that, it's like you don't exist. <laughs> wow, even Instagram. Yeah. Um, I mean, um, yeah. The thing is, social media is a tool and how you use it really depends exclusively on your own personality, background, and your needs and intentions. Sure, there are many ways that you can use it well and many stories so you can do it well and many stories and, and many examples how it could be done badly. It's a very complex issue and I know there are so many people who are like in this camp or that camp. I try to find a balance by just considering the these facts, the fact that it's not enough in this day and age just to be a great yoga teacher. It's just because there are just so many, even in my own city of Berlin, you know, there's just so many. How, how do I make a choice which studio I go to, which teacher I go to? Very often I use internet, I search, I look, I want to understand before even I spend my money uh, on this person, <laughs> on this experience, I want to kind of understand what I'm getting into. And the social media helps us to kind of like get a little taste for the person. And if I don't see them on social media, I kind of think to myself, that's kind of weird. <laughs> like, is that, that kind of like that kind of traditional person who thinks that social media is evil? Um, that's not really liberal. I mean, it's kind of outdated to think that way. I think some people are frankly afraid of it. I don't think it has anything to do with being evil. Um, they just don't understand it. It's true. I mean, it really is very um, scary uh, to put yourself out there with your photos, with your thoughts, with your information, especially now with all the privacy talks and, and, and how it's being used. And yeah, you, you kind of put yourself in a position of vulnerability. but so do you when someone comes to your class, they, they, they come and they judge you by your physical appearance, by your voice, by what you pants your dress you're wearing. I mean, you cannot avoid it. And this is why it's kind of silly to say, well, I'm not going to do this, this and that because uh, it, you know, because people judge me on it because people will judge anyway. So in your opinion, Instagram is essential because I, I actually just started working on Instagram like four months ago. So I'm pretty new, <laughs> new to that space. 
I'm quite new too, I have to say. Actually, um, funny enough, uh, I always say that I offer um, a transformation of faith for others through this event, and it's been a total transformation for myself. So I come from the background of being in Ashtangi for seven years, doing my advanced practice, you know, every morning, being very uptight about Ashtanga and, you know, thinking that it's their method, <laughs> like many Ashtangis tend to believe. And uh, not really mingling with others and not really caring what's happening in the world. And, and because of this project, because of the nature of this event where you just have to go and talk to people and communicate and connect with people if you want anyone to come to your event. If you want anyone to care about your event, that's what you do. Yeah, I had to learn a lot of things about myself and kind of like change certain outlooks and now I'm I'm not so naive I guess anymore and I understand the power of these tools and for, for instance Instagram I can tell you that definitely at the moment more helpful than Facebook I mean Facebook is still the leader if you want to promote things with um, sponsored content so if you want to spend money on marketing um, if you want to buy ads, instead of buying an ad, maybe like in a Nuka newspaper, it really is smart to use Facebook because the targeting is so, so good. But it's, it's changing also. It's becoming more expensive progressively. <laughs> and Instagram is still quite good for what we call organic reach. So reaching people based on specific topics, on specific hashtags, on um, through engagement, on other pages, comments, likes, stuff like that. So it's important to use it while it still lasts because it's changing also. <laughs> so make sure that when you make use of these tools, that you're not too late because sometimes if you're too late, then you cannot use them as good as you could have. Makes sense. Absolutely. We need really a social media guru to follow so that we know <laughs> where to be putting our attention. I'll have to find one and bring them onto the podcast. Well, the thing is, like with Facebook, um, sorry, with Instagram, you can really decide what you want to do. There are two options. Let me tell you. <laughs> Either you want to be an influencer, someone who lives off it by becoming um, sponsored by brands. And that means that you have to have a very specific um, Instagram feel and look and a very specific narrow audience and a very specific narrow set of topics that you post about. And it's always like, this is why a lot of these accounts where you have like a million followers or a lot of followers, it's all like these yoga postures. And it's kind of like boring, but this is what's kind of expected because that's the business. That's what they're selling. Another way to do Instagram is to use it simply as your um, communication tool to communicate about you as a teacher. Uh, you will not get as many followers and you will not become an ambassador of, I don't know, Alo Yoga or whatever, but you will use it to communicate through photos about maybe how you teach a class, what kind of workshops you do, what you're trying out. Um, you don't have to always post content about you. You can also post about your students. Uh, you don't have to do like these corny photos of asanas and some, you know, a quote to them. You can, you can just, Post what you think that day. Like just write what you think about some issue. Uh, you can make a post about your family if that's what inspires you and that's what motivates you to keep forward. Like you really, depending on personality, that's what you post. But you have to remember that then 
you know, the price that you pay <laughs> is that you're not going to be an Instagram star. <laughs> because to be an Instagram star, you have to be commercial, <laughs> basically. And I think most of my audience has the sense that you have to be commercial to use social media. So it's good to hear that social media still has its value. Even if you're not going to be commercial, you can still be your authentic self and have value from it. It's just going to be a different type of value. Exactly. Exactly. Really well said. I think that you have some ideas and thoughts around yoga teachers hiring agents or talent firms to get them booked to events. So what are your thoughts on that? Sure. So I get uh, inquiries from both just individuals or um, talent firms or managers. And I, I have to say that it doesn't matter if you have a talent representative or not. It's how they approach the, the organizers. That, that's what matters. So, you know, usually the email goes something like this. Hey, I'm so-and-so. I'm so, so great. Me, 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 me. I should, I should present at your conference. Here's my social media links. So um, usually in these emails, you don't even get addressed by your name, which tells the me or other organizers that this person didn't do their research. Like basic research is to see who you're addressing. So that tells me that that's probably some kind of mass mailing. And if this person really didn't care to address me properly, why should I care to read their email? Okay, let's just say I got past that and I was like, okay, let's see what this one is about. <laughs> so if you are approaching someone on email and you want to teach or you want your someone that you represent to teach, then it's kind of your responsibility to know that what you offer matches uh, the event. Like the most ridiculous thing is to offer, you know, a handstand workshop at a limited access mobility conference. I just made it up. <laughs> but sometimes it gets ridiculous like that, where people really offer something that just doesn't fit uh, the, your event. Uh, again, because they didn't care to invest the time to, to see what the event is about. So as a good salesperson, you want to do your research. You want to know who you're addressing, and you want to, um, to make a nice offer that is geared towards the person who is getting the offer. So it, it doesn't matter if you are doing it yourself, the work, or the talent agency. In my mind, it doesn't make you more cool or you know, more respectable if someone else is doing the job for you. Very often, it's kind of annoying almost. <laughs> I would actually prefer to get like a very honest, nice email from someone who really took their time to research um, and to do their homework to approach me with the right offer, and I will be like, wow, that's great. So let's talk about this. So who might benefit from hiring a manager? Who should hire a manager? Um, so it looks like there is this new career path, which is called, you know, being an um, event yoga teacher. <laughs> so it used to be the case that when there were, many, um, there were not that many events, um, there were um, people who would present themselves at these events, festivals, conferences, that were regular yoga teachers who teach on a weekly, daily, uh, monthly basis uh, at whatever their, their localities, and then they come to the conference and they share what, what their expertise and, and their knowledge with others. And because now there's so many events, 
there are like teachers who specifically choose to concentrate on just teaching at events. So maybe for whatever reason, I don't judge, I don't know. They're not in a position to teach weekly, daily in their locality. Maybe they want to travel around more. Um, maybe they're kind of like into this nomad, you know, culture. So they just want to travel around and do different gigs. And I, I have to mention this, that we, we didn't have a chance to talk about this a lot. Being a teacher at the conference, you don't really get rich from it. <laughs> what you get out of it is respect. And instead of rich, you get a reach. So you reach more people. You, you talk to more people. You meet your fans. You spread your message. You spread your vision of yoga. Maybe you have your own yoga style. You spread your own yoga style. You get more people to sign up for it. And you get more people to sign up for your maybe retreats, holidays, but you don't get so much money because you can imagine you, we have so many costs and we have like five slots, right? So we cannot pay each teacher like a lot of money just because the nature of the event is to have lots of slots and lots of people, right? So I think people understand that, but like again, some people really like to travel and they don't really care to earn so much. So maybe for these type of people, it would be great to have like someone like a manager who basically organizes tours, right? Like a musician, traveling band. That's, that, that would make sense, I would imagine. Is there anything else that you think would be really helpful or important for yoga teachers to know from the back end, from this, your perspective of running this, running a yoga festival about teaching at one or getting hired by one? Sure. Um, so when we talked about the different types of teachers who get fired, we talked about the three categories, like the yoga stars, the people who are not the stars but really offer great content, and then the people who are not the stars and haven't built that themselves yet to offer like great content, but it's maybe something innovative, something different, um, some kind of niche, something cool that they're doing. Be interesting for the experience at the conference. You know, just to kind of like create remarkable experience. I would, I would like to add that to each one of those, there is this element of personal connection, of a relationship. We are all humans and we're not machines. And I don't know if because I'm a yogi or, or whatever, I like to connect to people on a personal level and I don't see my project as a business. I see it as a many other things. Of course, I, I, I think about it practically because I want it to reproduce itself. I want it to reach more people because I believe in the message and I want to spread it. So this element of personal relationship is something that's really important. I think that if you want to be a part of something, it's very important to have this personal relationship with the person or the team behind the project. First of all, I would suggest that you have to really decide what part, what project you want to be a part of. Like you really need to choose because there are many things out there and you really need to connect on a, on a heart level to something because if, if you don't connect on a personal level, then it's not worth it for anyone. Then you need to invest some time into it and show to the people behind it that 
you kind of like following it. So for instance, like follow the social media, yeah, show up for the event. If the events are happening in your locality and you can afford it, or if you cannot afford it, ask to be a volunteer, ask to help out. Start building on a relationship with the people behind the project. And then of course, if you're like even a biggest yoga star, even then you still need to have a relationship. You need to be respectful, you need to be friendly, you need to be professional at the same time. And you, you kind of like need to have some kind of connection point that, you know, that brings you together on a human level. Of course, it's really the best if the organizer knows the teacher who is presenting. If they've seen them at, the, at one of the workshops, if they've experienced the classes, and most of the teachers on my list I've experienced. Second best, of course, is to get like a recommendation from someone that I know and trust. So if you're uh, even like an experienced yoga teacher and um, there is an event in your locality you want to be a part of, you go to the event, you meet the organizer, and you say, hey, I would like to invite you to my class. It's happening on Saturday. Would you like to join? Um, be my guest. And then once the organizer goes to your class and they like your class, the invitation to the conference would follow. And also just the fact that you approach them in a humble and friendly manner already is worth a thousand because it doesn't happen so often these days. <laughs> I guess it comes back to people skills. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think everything comes back to people skills because we're people and we're dealing with each other. <laughs> it's so it's so funny because I don't naturally have people skills. <laughs> I am a student of people skills and I'm working really hard to build my my people skills. I do that on purpose, but it's not a gift for me. <laughs> no, 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 no. We have to do, differentiate between people skills and and compassion or just connecting to people. Because I think what you mean by people skills in the US very often means like a certain qualities that are like if you have them that you're going to be successful. You're thinking charisma. Yeah, I think exactly. charisma is a part of it for sure. But for me, my family is a little bit on the autism spectrum. And so <laughs> our ability to read social cues is it requires a lot more effort, a lot more education. Like we can be compassionate people, but we don't realize that we're not, we don't seem compassionate. Does that make sense? Like when I was younger, people thought people, I, I don't know if they still do. I work really hard to try to make that not happen anymore. But people used to think I was really quote unquote snobby. But in mm -hmm. truth, I was just in my own world. Mm, you know, yeah. I was like really caught up in my own head, not to, I don't want to derail this conversation by talking about me, but I guess I want to say that I have so much compassion for people who find people skills to not come naturally because yeah. I see people who they have a gift at appearing compassionate and, and you can't force that. It's not like they're faking it at all, but somebody else can also be compassionate, but not have the skill of communicating that. Totally. It's a really great point, actually. I, I love that you brought it up. I would say that I, maybe I would enjoy dealing more with people like you because I would imagine that it's quite easy. Like you wouldn't be like 
super reactive emotionally, you know, <laughs> like because that that would be really helpful. Because <laughs> sometimes you have like a million emails to re to reply, and you not always have the time and patience and and compassion to be like. Maybe perhaps if you thought that would would be possible, you know, like you just say, can you please do this? <laughs> like actually, it would be really easy. <laughs> By people skills, I guess I mean that it's not so much about specific skills. It's that I think it's about connection. It's about authentic connection. It's just that there are so many people out there, and. There are just so many possibilities of who we could connect with. And if we don't connect with some people, that's okay because we'll connect with other people that are on the same level of resonance, that have kind of like similar backgrounds or similar understandings and, and just are, you know, easier to work with in that sense. I don't mean to say that it's great when someone has a charisma and just like really people's pleasers. To be honest, I don't like that. I find it super unauthentic. <laughs> but some of them, some of those people with charisma are authentic too. And though I think that's like, you know, that those often end up being the people who are the stars. And that's awesome. That's awesome for them. There are also many of us, and I think, you know, probably the audience of this podcast might fall more into the c category of two or three, the really experienced, very, very knowledgeable teachers, or the more innovative teachers who are, you know, have a solid base, but also have this ability to pull in different ideas or different perspectives. And for those of us who maybe don't have as much charisma as the stars do, there's still a place for us. For sure. And this is why, like, at the Berlin Yoga Conference, I actually have um, three huge halls and two smaller halls. And the idea is that there are different yoga methods and there are different yoga teachers. And there, there are different ways how you can hold space. So some people are naturally more entertaining. I mean, I know that because of my son. He just was born an actor. It just comes naturally to him. And it's not because he's an authentic. It's just because he likes to be seen and heard. It's like what makes him happy. It's an expression of, of his nature. What I mean by connection also is a relationship that is built over time and based on trust. If you come in contact with someone and you kind of like help each other out and, you know, support each other and continuously check in with each other, what's going on, how's it going? Like not too much, not to be annoying. <laughs> and if, for instance, like if people authentically have a desire to help each other by connecting them to certain people or even just be like, hey, have you seen this article? I think it would be really helpful for what you're doing. I, I'm talking about that, like this kind of stuff, being attentive to the people in your network, like in the closer people to your network. Um, who could be like more professional network doesn't have to be like you know your friends yeah I guess I'm talking about that like building these relationships and once you have that relationship with someone who organizes the conference it's a no-brainer that the organizer would invite that person to the conference you know provided that they're not like injure anyone or that they're like really bad yoga teachers or something it's really obvious because we have so much to do. Actually, it makes our life easier if we already have someone we know who could really uh, fill the place. You can relax more. It doesn't take up as much mental space in your brain to hire somebody who you have a relationship with and you, and you can trust versus somebody who's an unknown. 
and you know and you work together and maybe it's not the perfect person no one is perfect but it's the person that you know and you know to, you know honestly like people get under your skin from i've been working on the berlin yoga conference for almost uh, um, over a year now and from the time that i first approached the teachers to now i feel like we have this special connection some of them of course they've met in person either before the conference or because of the pop-up events and others I, I, I researched and got a recommendation for or, or made a decision based on, on their status of being great teachers yeah and it's like you write emails you go back and forth you kind of like follow their life because you have to communicate about them and I feel like we became maybe not friends but we became familiar with each other and and so it you know with the people that are other people who are involved in the project could be volunteers, could be ambassadors, a great way to get into the conference and to show your pool power that you could really bring people uh, from your community to attend the event is to become an ambassador, subscribing people to the tickets. And when the organizer sees you subscribe like at least five people, then it's like, okay, why don't you come for free? Uh, and and let's just meet, let's just connect. And, and, and you want to keep those people next to you, of course. I love that your central message is about connection. That's really beautiful because sometimes we think about events or workshops or the business side of yoga and we can get distracted by the more concrete parts of it. But the connection is really central. So thank you for bringing that. And thank you for everything that you shared with us today. I thought it was really, really helpful. And I think it'll be inspiring for yoga teachers, especially those who maybe have thought of themselves like, oh, I'd love to teach at a conference, but I, I'm not a superstar. Now they have some ways of building connections and framing themselves and framing their their experience and who they are that will help help them reach that goal if that's a goal that they have. It's really beautiful. Thank you so much for mentioning that. I mean, it really warms my heart that just sharing my story, my experiences could possibly help someone to improve some situations in their life on, in some respects that would give them more chances in life. And, and I think it's really beautiful. And I'm, I'm, I'm so grateful for being on this podcast and for this opportunity to present my story, my expertise. <laughs> Thank you so much for doing this podcast in the first place. It's my pleasure. Absolutely. Anastasia, how can people find out more about you and find out more about the Berlin Yoga Conference? So the Berlin Yoga Conference has a website, which is uh, www.berlinyogaconference.org. Facebook is Bear Yoga Conference, so not Berlin, but Bear. And Instagram is Berlin Yoga Conference. And I'm always happy to connect with people who really connect to the project and who want to establish this personal connection. So they, they can write me an email that always goes to my mailbox. It's info at Berlin Yoga Conference, I mean, um, .org. And um, yeah, if, if anyone feels like I didn't clarify something or they have more questions, I'll be happy to answer them. Yes, absolutely. And I can add you to the Yoga Teacher Resource Facebook group so that you can answer some questions on there. Anastasia created a, a guide for yoga teachers who are interested in teaching at conferences to help break down the steps and 
have a checklist for the process for getting involved in a yoga conference. So that'll be available to newsletter subscribers. Thank you so much. You better subscribe. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Anastasia. Thank you so much, Madam. I really loved where that interview ended up going. I don't know if you felt the same way, but I was a little bit surprised by the, well, I shouldn't have been surprised, but I was by the emphasis on connection. It makes a lot of sense to me, but it wasn't necessarily where I was expecting Anastasia to go. So I hope that that was helpful to you. It really, it certainly was to me because I felt like you can extrapolate that information even beyond teaching at yoga festivals, but anywhere you want to teach, it's about really building relationships first. And that's something that came up in a strategy session I did yesterday with the yoga teacher who she had some ideas about niches she wanted to pursue. And there was one particular niche where she had no ins, she had no personal connections. And we kept digging and digging. And it was so, it was so fun because eventually we actually found a really perfect niche that what that is in line with what she was originally thinking. And there's a population that she has access to, that she has shared interests with. And it was so cool because in the beginning, it felt like that wasn't going to happen. Like she was trying to force this niche. And we, you know, like we had to really keep digging to find the place. But then once we found it, it was perfect. So I'm really excited to uh, see what develops with her and with that with that niche. And if you're still unsure about your own niche, I want to encourage you to really look for places where you have personal connections. Look for those overlapped interests, those shared interests, those shared experiences, because that's really where the energy is and the potential is for you to serve people and serve people in a way that is fulfilling. If yoga conferences and yoga festivals is an area of interest for you, Anastasia created a short guide to help you plan out your process of figuring out where and what to focus on in making that a reality. So to access that, you just need to be an email subscriber. And when you subscribe to my email list, you get bonus content, even for past episodes, for future episodes. I have a hidden page on my website where all my subscribers can access all the bonus content for any episode. To join, go to teachingyoga.net slash join, and there will be an option both to join the email list and also the Yoga Teacher Resource Facebook group. I promised at the beginning that if you're interested in going to the Berlin Yoga Conference, Anastasia has a 10% off discount for listeners of the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast. And the coupon code, the discount code is just my name, Mado, M-A-D-O, and I think it's all lowercase. That is all for this week. As always, I hope that this podcast was inspiring 
and useful for you. I hope you take the ideas in it and create connections, build your network, and step towards your own potential. As always, I also want to encourage you to make sure that you're taking time for your own personal practice, to fill your own cup, and stay connected to why you love yoga and why you want so much to share that yoga with your students. Come back next week for another episode. And in the meanwhile, hopefully we'll get to connect on the Yoga Teacher Resource Facebook group. Have a wonderful week.